The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome to the show today. I'm Carol Bossert, and today we're going to be talking about a conference that occurred last week in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Uh, It was called Reimagining the Museum, uh, the Conference uh, of the Americas. It was uh, co sponsored by the TIPA Foundation of Argentina and the American Alliance of Museums. And no, unfortunately, I was not able to go down to Argentina, but luckily several of my friends were. And one of my dearest friends, Leslie Bedford, is here with us today. Some of you may remember that Leslie has been on a guest has been a guest on the show before. She is the author of the Art of the of Museum Exhibition which is published by Left Coast Press and remains, for me, one of those pivotal books that has changed the way I look at uh, museum exhibitions and the work that I do. Uh, Leslie is also a, a senior museum consultant, a member of the museum group, and has was also the director of the Leadership in Museum Education program at Bank Street College for 13 years. And Leslie, thank you for being on the show today, and thank you for being the Museum Life's eyes and ears down in Argentina last week. You are so very, very grateful. Muchas gracias. <laughs> um, this is one of the most fabulous experience, professional experiences I've ever had, and I'm really excited and grateful to have a chance to talk about it with you and your listeners. So I've, I've given it some thought because I have so much I want to say, and I, I, what I want to be sure I, I do is give you the, a sense of the context, what it was, who was there, why, and then maybe some insights of my own, but also from talking to other people about the sort of museum scene in Latin America, because for those of us coming from the north, this was an opportunity to learn, in most cases, about a world we don't know well. And then finally, I have some thoughts about what this might mean for us as a field and for the future and going forward. So 
many many words here, Carol. You will have to just rein me in when you think it's appropriate. Uh, you, uh, it sounds fabulous, Leslie. And uh, don't worry, I will. You know, I'm not shy with my own words. Uh, but uh, and then I'll also make sure that we do do those commercial breaks. So you don't worry about it. You have a lot to say. So why don't you get started? Okay, uh, let's see. I guess the first thing is that the museum, the conference was called Reimagining the Museum or El Museo Reimaginado, which says it all, right? This was really a cross-cultural, bilingual, and in some cases trilingual experience because there were many people from Portuguese-speaking Brazil. And that was very important for me. I've been studying Spanish for many years without getting anywhere near fluency. And it, it was, I guess, the first thing that struck me on day one was how humbling it was to be in a place where our language, English, was not the lingua franca. Many, many, many people spoke it, but with this was a Spanish-speaking scene. And I thought about all those people who come from overseas to AAM every year and how we just kind of, or at least most of I do, assume they're going to make it. They're going to get along in English. And so it was one of those moments where you had to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, which is always, for me, so edu- educational. Anyway, here's what it was. It was three days in Buenos Aires, which is a enchanting city, that uh, a fabulous place to visit, in an old, gorgeous old building way downtown in a part of the city called La Boca, a, a, muse- a building that used to be an electrical factory, I think in the 19th century, and it's been turned into a spectacular art space. And so what we did was we headed by bus down there every day and we stayed. Um, there were something, some 600 people participating, of whom I think there were maybe 50 from the north and, and maybe also including the UK. But there were people from countries all the way from Canada down to the bottom of Chile. And 17 um, Latin American countries were represented. The other thing about it uh, was that there was this fabulous range of formats. You know, at times AAM has a certain, um, how do I say this, feeling that the, the format has been cast in stone and hasn't moved in a very long time. But this, this conference, and I'm, part of it was that it was small, and I think part of it was that it was Latin, was just more fun and lively with more variety. There were talks by people, but several of them were informal along the lines of, here's what's been on my mind recently. There were panel discussions, but there were also every lunch uh, time there were these thematic tables where you could go and sit down and talk with somebody about a shared issue or uh, kind of place that you work in. There was a pop-up museum thing, which was something I was supposed to and tried to help coordinate. Um, there was a marvelous uh, coronation. There was a contest of projects, and the winner was crowned with a huge pretend sort of Queen Elizabeth kind of crown. It, it was just fun. You know, there was just stuff going on all the time. There were visits to museums. There was an opening reception, and then there was a closing party with a dance band and pizza. It, it, was, just, it was just a kick. It was a, it was a great time and a great city. Um, but the obvious point is to, to make is that the conference grew out of the thinking 
originally of this not-for-profit in Argentina called TIPA, T-Y-P-A, which stands for Teoria y Práctica de las Artes, which means theory and practice in the arts, which is a great name. And that is, uh, it's, a, it's a little group. TIPA for me is sort of the little engine that could, you know. It's got a charismatic and very experienced leader named Américo Castilla, who is a lawyer and a visual artist and an entrepreneur who spent his senior year in high school going to high school and going to a school in Utah where there were 2,000 people. And so he had this kind of North American experience, unlike what many of us have had. Uh, but he has a staff of amazingly smart and energetic and creative people, young people who work for him. And they put this whole thing together. They found 60 volunteers who got university credit for working on it. And then they got, they worked with AAM. They got to, you know, AAM is sort of the big mother service organization, the biggest museum organization in the world. And TIPA is this tiny little one in Argentina. And together they came together in the most collaborative kind of way. And I think we should credit Dean Phelis at AAM for initially having the, the guts to, to push this alliance and Laura Lotz, who's, as you know, is our new head of AAM who came to the conference and was tremendously enthusiastic. And then they, they got to the Getty Foundation for support. They got to the Smithsonian's new Museum of uh, African American History and Culture for a lot of support and a lot of staff came. TIPA brought in the British Embassy and the American Embassy in Argentina. They went to corporation after corporation after corporation to get support so that many, many, many of the participants who come from places with extremely limited resources could get fellowships. Uh, an AAM board member named Sylvia Singer, who is a museum director in Mexico City, went to Amex and got support. There were something like 40 people from Mexico I'm sure I'm leaving people out, but I don't want to because the whole thing, that feeling that came through was partnership, really meaningful partnership and people working together. I, the next, do you mind? I'm yakking away. No, you just keep right on going. <laughs> okay, thanks. The, the message of the conference, as you know, was reimagining and the, the, the medium was open dialogue and I was very impressed there was a, a luncheon at the British Embassy before the whole thing kicked off, one of those sort of official things where the British ambassador talked and the American political attaché talked and blah, blah, blah. And then Americo gave a little talk and he said, he, he, he drew on the words of a soci American sociologist, a North American sociologist, I'm never going to say American the same way again, named Richard Sennett, who said that, and he said, this is going to be an open dialogue. An open dialogue means a dialogue that is completely informal, open. He said, this is going to be a pure dialogue, informal, open, and cooperative. And I thought, that's a really cool way to frame this. And you know what? That's what it was. And I don't know how often we get to experience that, but I just thought it was terrific. That's fabulous. It uh, that. 
I can see it uh, in my mind. And, of course, uh, my listeners are at a little bit of a disadvantage, and I'm at an advantage because, Leslie, since we're on Skype today, I can see your hands. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and and it just the enthusiasm is, uh, is fabulous. Uh, just uh, to break a, a little bit, um, it's, it clearly a lot of very dedicated people worked very very hard I know uh, you were an advisor as were several of our other uh, museum group colleagues right. Jake Volker, Langurian and, and others that I, I too am, am forgetting at the moment how long I'm, you know, how long did this take to pull off what was the, the lead time gosh that's a good question I think it was a couple of years but I remember conference calls about it last winter. I was living in L.A. So I'd say it was a a year of solid hard work. But I I should tell you about TIPA a little bit more. This is interesting. They, uh, and uh, Americo has extensive experience in cultural affairs and training and exhibitions and so forth. But the TIPA group, while it's small, has been trying for years to to bring professional training to the Latin American museum world. We up here take for granted, I think, the resources we have, programs like the one I had at Bank Street College, but also, you know, museums that will invest in the training of their staff, all that kind of stuff, all sorts of things online. And that's much more limited in Latin America. So after years of working on this, they got support primarily from the city of Buenos Aires, to have something called the TIPA Lab. And so for the past three years, there's been an annual uh, three-week session where people who who are given fellowships come and learn about museum management. And I was involved in teaching there, and Elaine was, and Jim was, and Barbara Henry was. And that, I think, gave them the springboard for this next huge step. what was so impressive to me was looking around the room. I mean, I know there were any number of extremely distinguished Latin American professionals and thinkers there, but I would be less familiar with their names. But the folks they found in the States and the UK were really something. I mean, I people like Seb Chan, who just basically transformed the uh, Hewitt, what's it called? Cooper, Cooper Hewitt. Hewitt. Cooper Hewitt and has now gone to Australia, and Robert Stein, who's at the Dallas Museum of Art, and, oh, God, David Anderson, who's in the U.K., heading the Welsh Museums, and David uh, Lawrence, is that his name? He's the head of the um, U.K. Museum Association. David Fleming, woman named Mar Dixon, a real firebrand. Debbie Mack from the Smithsonian, Catherine Potts, head of education at the Whitney, Alice Greenwald, Greenwald, who's the director of 9-11 Museum. I mean, this was a this was a really solid group of extremely thoughtful and experienced people, and all of them so enthusiastic and so committed to this conference. It was it was fun to spend time with them. And a real tribute, I think, to the work of TIPA and AAM in pulling these people together. What I find interesting as well is, is uh, TIPA looking at not only sort of beyond borders yes. of, 
uh, and that is something that, well, you know, going back to AAM, uh, because of Dean, it, uh, there is a great deal of interest in sort of a global museum uh, community, and I've had several people on the show recently uh, who are part of that that global community. But I I do agree with you. It must have been heady to have so many. Uh, strong museum thinkers all in the same room, but in dialogue with uh, everyone else on an equal footing. Totally. That, you just said it really well. That's what it was like. Um, these folks, this, this crew that came in, did a whole range of activities. For instance, um, Elaine and Jim, who have worked with Americo and Tipa for many more years than I have, two afternoons put on three-hour workshops on prototyping and layering, which is, was in, when I finally found out what it was, was interesting to me because with limited resources and, and many old museums, which were not part of the revolution museum thinking that we experienced here in the North, post-civil rights era and, you know, so post-Stephen Weil and all of that, they, they're stuck in some cases with these old-fashioned installations and not enough money to completely redo them. And so the layering concept is what can you do to something that's pre-existing to make it more visitor-centered, more accessible, more interesting. So Elaine, bless her heart, did two long workshops on this. And Jim, at the same time, taught people how to do simple prototyping. So they were doing very concrete, practical stuff at the same time that somebody like Alice Greenwald was talking about the moral choices that we have to make in life and how the 9-11 Museum really makes that concrete and visible for people. It was, it was a marvelous range. It really was. Fabulous. Uh, I think, uh, Leslie, before we go on, uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to uh, uh, break for our first uh, set of commercials, give you an opportunity to get a sip of water. And when we come back, uh, I'd like, like you to talk about what you learned about Latin American museums. So we will uh, stay, please stay tuned. This is a, was a fabulous conference. I, when we get back, Leslie can also tell us a little bit more. I think uh, some of the presentations were videotaped and they may be available for those of us who are not able to attend. Uh, so please stay tuned. We will be back in a moment. Uh, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. 
We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and I am here today with Leslie Bedford, and she has been sharing with us the experience that she had last week when she attended the Reimagining the Museum, uh, the Conference of the Americas, which was uh, co-sponsored by the TIPA Foundation of Argentina and our own American Alliance of Museums. And uh, it just sounds like such a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous experience, uh, and the way you've described it was is just so uh very I, I have pictures in my mind uh, at, uh, about just how bringing a relatively small group of people together but as as you said uh, this Richard Senate, quoted uh, that it was for open dialogue, which was informal and cooperative, uh, which Mm -hmm. is something that I think that we do not often experience in our professional lives. So I can appreciate why this was perhaps, as you said, one of the the greatest experiences of of your career. So, Leslie, let's, you know, we can shift gears maybe a little bit. I know you have a lot to say about what you learned about Latin American museums. Yeah, I do, Um, and I have a whole lot more to learn, and I need to preface this with the obvious statement that not only is this one person's take, but also this is a North American person's take with a limited experience in this region, so I'm a beginning learner. I'm not exactly a beginning learner, but I'm certainly not an expert learner, and I forgot to mention, Carol, by the way, that one highlight of the conference was access to Argentine beef and a lot of uh, really good Malbec. So keep that in mind in case you're planning to go to the next one. Anyway, uh, when, when Americo Castilla, the head of TIPA, spoke last May at AAM on a panel about this conference, he made an interesting observation, which was that while we in the North and Western Europe went through a, a very turbulent and sort of fertile period of based on the civil rights movement and the 60s and so forth, when we sort of examined all of our institutions in order to make them, I would say, more democratic and more accessible. And we, and we pushed the idea of being visitor-centered and community-oriented. Latin America, most of the countries down there were at that point under military right-wing dictatorships. And so that period 
either passed them by or when they tried to engage, they were suppressed. Tens, hundreds of thousands of young people, intellectual students, so forth, were murdered. So, but having said that, so there isn't the same tradition to build on, but what there is is a new tradition that's very youthful and active and This conference was the place for bringing these folks together to give them an opportunity to find, to create a community, a a place for them to share ideas and sort of gain strength from each other's work. And so one heard one story after another about these incredible efforts. And there were three that I managed to remember. And I should say, I have to confess this, you know, all of, the, all of the sessions had simultaneous translation into English, Spanish, and Portuguese, which is quite awesome. So as a Spanish student, I would sit down and try, as my teacher had told me to do, to listen to the Spanish. And depending on how they talked, I would then decide to keep listening or to put on my headphones. And so no doubt, quite a lot floated past me. But in any case... I heard about a new science park in Colombia in the city of Medellin, which is, as we all know, ravaged by drug wars. And what the government there did, I guess it was the city government, was deliberately set out to use the places, the buildings, the parks that had been destroyed by the drug wars and were now abandoned and turn them into a community-oriented science park. And they did it, I think, if I understood correctly, the the team that did it lived together in a house for three years and conceived this this science park. And then they built satellites in other cities that had also been harmed by the drug wars. How, How incredible is that? And in Sao Paulo, there's a big art museum called Pinacoteca. Uh, I don't know, I'm not pronouncing that correctly, which is has been around, I guess, for a while, but um, and does extremely community, or it's education department. I spoke with the coordinator of education who was terrific, and she sent me information about all their programs, and they work with social workers, and they work with workers, and they work with kids in underserved neighborhoods, and they, you know, they're, they're just about being for social progress, I guess. And then... They instituted a place called the um, Memorial of Resistance in a building that used to be the headquarters of the, the Department for Political and Social Order. Because in the 30s, for a long time, and again in the 70s, Brazil was also under the, the heel of uh, dictatorship. And they turned it into a memorial and an archive and an education center about human rights and democracy and and the stories of the people who had experienced this. And then in Buenos Aires, I mean, these are just three places. There are hundreds of them. Buenos Aires, in 1998, they they built a place called the Parque de la Memoria, which is an outdoor sculpture park that's built just south of the military airfield where the government, where the military used to take off. This is so awful. With Planes full of drugged people, mostly young people, students, whom they would then drop in the River Plata, kill them, basically. So you kept hearing about these places that were built in response to 
this awful past and we're all sort of about making sure one it didn't happen again and two that museums were now about social progress it was very moving as you might imagine you know what strikes me well several things strike me one and you've already alluded to it that um, there there was it seems that one of the motives here was to promote healing Yes. Um, acknowledgement and healing uh, after such such uh, uh, periods of, of of strife and and just well unbelievable uh, horror, but it it also strikes me that this is a different yeah. path than in creating a museum culture, if you will, than. Other areas, and certainly even in in the in the U.S., where we have these large um, facilities, um, uh, beautiful museums that are at a national or international scale, and their purpose is to showcase our, you know, sort of the best of who we are. You know, whether it's at the Smithsonian or. Um, uh, um, the Getty, or or uh, in New York at the Met, it uh, you know these these are there those museums as well. Yes, there are those museums as well. Um, I'm not sure those museums were the ones, and this is something I don't really I can't speak to with complete accuracy. But the the charge of this conference, this this. Um, motto of reimagination and change was so salient that I would guess that the speakers and the approaches and so forth were all chosen and people applied who were committed to this alternative vision, the one that you started with, and that the big, more traditional, more conventional museums weren't there. Having said that, I mean, the Museum of... of, uh, what do we say, fine arts in Buenos Aires, which is the kind of national place where you show off, you know, was, there was a party there, and they were very proud of the fact that they'd redone their galleries. And Malba, which is a fabulous museum of Latin American art, was also part of it. But the, the overwhelm, the voice of the conference was this alternative view, this museums as um, civic as citizens, you know, as activist citizens. However, they were, I mean, there were several people here who were from the big museums. I mean, Deborah Mack talked about, she gave a keynote, actually, about the new upcoming museum, National Museum of African American History and Culture, and she gave a terrific PowerPoint showing what they're going to be doing, but she she's the head of partnerships, and so she talked about the way they're working with a lot of smaller places all over the actually I think all over the world. I think there's a network that's starting of African museums of the African diaspora, um, and she had staffers there from a Haiti Haitian museum in Miami, for example, and certainly. Alice Greenwald's talk about the 9-11 Museum was also about museums as, I don't know what the, what the word is I'm looking for, progressive is too pale, it's sort of activist, it's, I, I may have it in my notes later on because I, I, I need better language for this. 
And, and David Anderson, who is, was at the um, V&A in London for many years in education and has gone to be head of the museums in Wales, he just has no truck with the traditional notion of a museum as kind of showing off its cultural heritage. It's not that that's not worth doing, but it's, maybe it's necessary, but not enough. And so he's interested in museums that take on re-examining their national identity, re-examining, confronting their myths about themselves, and being open to alternative ways of thinking. So, it, you know, there were big places there and medium-sized places and small places, but the overall voice was a new voice. Uh, that's, that's fabulous. And I, I, you know, going back to what um, you had said in the previous uh, uh, segment about uh, Elaine Gurian um, and Jim Volker doing some programs specifically aimed at probably some of these bigger and older or what we yeah. might call venerable museums that yeah. were built and at uh, in a century and at a time that, that was not so open, but the cases are there, the exhibits are there. And there isn't the money to uh, you know, change it particularly, and and what that sort of overlaying is about. And one of the things that I've been interested in recently, and some of the work that I've been doing um, in the uh, the Middle East, is how change has to happen at the pace that is appropriate for the culture. Uh-huh. And uh, it sounds to me as if there are these wonderful uh, uh, seeds being sown in, in, in these uh, uh, cities, in, in, in communities, and that that together is, is moving the culture or moving, moving things forward in a, in, in a way that is right for that community and that culture. Does that make sense? It does. There are two points here that I don't want to lose. The first one is um, my, what I've picked up over the years is that at the same time that there's this activist energy, which is for the most part, I would say, young and respond, you know, in much of it in response to what's happened in the past and this commitment to being different. The other truth is that many, many museums in Latin America, more than here, I would say, are government entities, and they're run by ministries of cultural affairs. And the heads of the cultural affairs ministries are typically political appointments, and they may know nothing and care less about museum culture. So it's not easy. I, I think the folks at TIPA and in other countries would say, would make, accuse me of perhaps making it look like it's been too simple. I think there are lots of sort of guerrilla actions and lots of behind-the-scenes maneuvering and lots of learning to manage up and probably a lot of despair because, well, we all know this, but if your leadership is not behind this kind of thing, it's really hard to make it happen. And I think what the TIPA labs are doing and other places as well, there's no question, are giving professionals the tools they need to be effective managers, effective leaders, and figure out ways to do end runs around the powers that be. And I think it's hard work. But the other point that came to mind was something that Jim Volkert, who's worked with them for many years, said over and over again. The thing that's so 
liberating or sort of exciting for us going down there is to realize that they just did it. You know, they didn't sit around and worry about that. They have enough money for this and enough money for that. All the stuff that tends to happen when you're an established place and you have to follow deadlines and guidelines. and They just sort of do it, you know, and that's my little engine that could analogy. It's like the Nike ad, you know, just do it. And they did it and it worked. And I think there's something there for us to, to take away. Oh, I would, I would agree with you. Uh, the, the thought that was running through my mind is, and I'm glad you made that, that point, uh, it is that I have despaired recently uh, in our own museum conference, and of course it's always easy to nitpick uh, about uh, you know, our, uh, the American Alliance of Museums, and it does do tremendously important things. And as you said, Dean Phelis and, and Laura Lott uh, have, were very committed and involved in this project, and I think it shows their commitment to museums overall. But one of the challenges when you get a group of museum people together, particularly 4,000, is that when a new idea comes up, it often is just squashed immediately because yeah. inevitably someone says, but we yeah. need better leadership, but we yeah. need more money, but, but, but. And it sounds to me as if one of the, uh, the take-homes, and I don't mean to be stealing your thunder, but uh, is that there are these places uh, in against all odds that yes. are just doing it. And so perhaps we need to come up with some kind of sign or buzzword so that when we get into these other conferences and people are saying, oh, but we need, oh, but we need, we need to sort of squash that and just say, you know, it's never going to get any better than this, uh, so let's just do it. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, I actually had a very nice conversation with Laura whom I had never met before, who was very enthusiastic about this. And one of the other themes, in addition to open dialogue, was that the AAM, which I continue to call the American Association of Museums because I've been in it forever, is now the American Alliance of Museums. And she said, and other people said, this is what an alliance looks like. And I thought, oh, I get it. This is terrific. And I think she was really enthusiastic about this sort of vitality and the alternative ways of working that the conference revealed. So I think, I think there's change in the air here. I think we should feel good about this. That's, that's great. Yes, Laura was on the show uh, earlier this summer and, and uh, talked about the TIPA conference. That's how I heard oh, about it. Oh, she did. Oh, good. Yes, well, just, you know, just that it was, was beginning and, and also that uh, this idea of alliance. But I, you know, it's interesting. I, too, have been in you know, AAM forever, and uh, I, have a, I always have to write down on a little sheet of paper yeah. every time I do a Friday program that it's the alliance uh, and I've never really understood the difference either so that perhaps like so many things in life we have to see it we just can't be told 
Yeah, no, it was one of those so-called teachable moments for me. It was, <laughs> it was really, it was really very helpful. That's great. That's great. Well, I tell you what, this is a good um, break for our our second break, and uh, when we come back, more about uh, the takeaways, Leslie's personal takeaways, and also some thoughts about the future. Uh, but Leslie, before we break, am I correct in saying that some of the keynotes? I mean. Mentioned fabulous people who gave uh, keynotes. Uh, are they going to be available? Yes, yes, thanks for bringing that up. The whole thing was recorded and is going to be put online. I am assuming uh, there's a website for the conference in English and Spanish. You just have to go to, you know, El Museo de Imaginado. I've, I think if you go to Reimagining the Museum, you get there. Too. And I, I don't know if that's where they're going to put them up or on the TIPA website or on AAM. You know, the, the whole thing just ended and they're all sort of trying to figure that out. But I'm sure it will be soon. And I, I think it would be great also to have bring back somebody at another time and talk about the long term effects of this and you know maybe bring in bring in a couple of people from Latin America that would be wonderful absolutely one of the the benefits of having you go to this conference is it's giving me uh, a wider network of, of international guests to bring on the show and uh, as I've said before that is truly being is one of the most gratifying parts of uh, of doing this program and the magic of uh, I'm still amazed uh, digitally that I'm able to talk to people as if they're in my living room and they're clear across the country so we're going to break and when we come back uh there's so much more to talk about uh with this conference and leslie's thoughts i'm sure you agree with me that she was the perfect person to uh, be um, the museum life ambassador to the conference so please stay tuned this is carol bossert for museum life we will be back in a moment Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back to Museum Life. I'm Carol Bossert, and I have been having a fabulous conversation with my friend Leslie Bedford, who uh, was recently at the um, um, Conference of the Americas called Reimagining the Museum, uh, which was a uh, co-sponsored by the TIPA Foundation of Argentina and our own American Alliance of Museums. And Leslie, again, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to organize your thoughts. I know you've really only been back a little less than a week, uh, but I am sure that you you know you've been talking to other people. You've been you know trying to sort of uh, sort through your thoughts. So, you know, what what are your takeaways? Um, uh, gosh, there are a lot. Uh, one thought I will confess that came to me over the break, which is somewhat marginal but intriguing, at least to me as an academic. The conference, the, the first speaker was an intellectual. Um, his last name is Nunn. I can't remember what his first name is. He's an Argentine who's living in Mexico. What was and he began to, as he began talking about the museum field. He did it. He talked about Kant and um, other Western intellectual figures. And what I thought was, this is so Latin American, and I think it's also European, and it's so different from what we're used to. There's a Muse- museology and museum studies in those parts of the world are, are far more academic, research-focused field. We're so practical here, you know, we're so John Dewey-ish. We want to see how things work. And I don't know, I don't think one is better than the other. I think it's a both-and thing, but I think there's something Elaine said to me, why don't we do this more often? Why don't we sit back and really think big and theoretical? Anyway, that's sort of like the uh, Malbec comment that I began with. (laughs) Wisdom from the sidelines here. Um, So, listen, I decided that I would start, once I remembered that I was going to be on this show and that I should have something intelligent to say, I decided to talk to some other people who were there so you weren't just hearing from me. And it it was great. And... So I, I want to share some of their thoughts with you. Um, one of the people was Robert Stein, who's the deputy director of the Dallas Museum of Art, which is under the leadership of Max Anderson, whom you will remember was at MMI with us many years yes, ago. Yes, he was, and ha- also has been a guest on this show. Ah, okay, perfect. Anyway, um, Robert, I don't know if his name is Bob or Rob, but he's a terrifically engaging, warm, thoughtful guy. And I said, so why are you here? And he said, because this is the first time that North American and Latin American museums can really talk to each other and learn from each other and start building a community. And in Dallas in particular, he said, I guess this would be obvious, there's a big Latino-Hispanic population, so we need to really be paying attention. And I think that was true for many of the North Americans who wended their way down to Buenos Aires, that so much of our country is comes from those that region, and so we we really need to 
reorient ourselves both to the language and the culture and the history. The, and they, he also said, you know, the collections at the at Malba, the Museum of Latin American Art, boy, well, that would be great to have those in Dallas, more <laughs> practical. Then I talked to Seb Chan, who is such an incredibly creative thinker. He's such an interesting guy. And he said, listen, this is the po- we're in a post-colonial reality up here in the North. We're in decline. There's a loss of power and confidence and Maybe that power and confidence it resides here in the South. And so we need to, where they have, he's, he re- referred to as a looser federation of people that's coming from the bottom up, not the top down. He said, we need to be more willing to innovate and in some of those ways. And, um, and then he went on to talk about a lot of, his field is really technology and digital technology and all the ways that people can communicate. And he met, I was remarking how frustrating the language barrier was, despite the fact that TIPA and AAM did absolutely everything they could to facilitate cross-linguistic communication, you know, sitting there listening with headphones on while somebody translates what somebody else has just said, and in some cases very skillfully and in others not, it's not what you really want. You really want face-to-face. He's, so he was sort of imagining a future when we all had little devices behind our ears where that would immediately translate what other people said, and I thought, boy, wouldn't that be fabulous, you know, just fluid intercommunication. Let's see. The, oh, Mar Dixon. Do you know her, Carol? No, but I think she's coming on the show very soon. She's something else. She's a, she's from the UK. She's an independent. She goes around. I think I thought I wrote up something about her, but maybe I didn't. She describes herself on her website in wonderful ways. She says, I can be an innovator, a troublemaker, a facilitator. You tell me what you need, and I'll come do it. And so she... She came and she did, she facilitated something called, I think that she calls Museum Camp. In any case, she got all 400, 500, 600 people, most of them, together in the big auditorium in groups working on a manifesto for the future, which I'll talk about in a minute. Anyway, she was here. She said she just loved the passion. She was so aware of how desperate people were to talk and to know that they weren't alone, that they, here, this was a safe space where you were given permission to share your, your idealism, your practice and your idealism and your hopes, and she had picked up on that very quickly, and it just made her feel good. So who else? Did, oh, yes, here's another one. I wrote some people afterwards, one of whom was my former student from Bank Street, if I can find what she said. Her name is Carlene Gardner, and she's head of education at MIA, which is how the Minneapolis Institute of Art has rebranded itself. The head of the institute is also the head of the AAM board, and so she was there on the first day, welcome the whole thing. And she said her big takeaway was that the idea that so many people from all over the world with similar values and ideals could come together and talk and think about the new changing role of museums. I wanted to share a couple of, of uh, comments that uh, 
that Leslie had been making as well, talking about uh, one of the things that I found most interesting was this concept of the pop-up museum. Uh, That is something that uh, we've been talking about here in the States uh, for quite some time, but uh, we we have a challenge and the idea of a pop-up museum is something that just happens. Uh, in the 60s we used to call them happenings. Uh, whether they're happening in a, uh, 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 a park or a shopping mall or it's something that is very, very uh, consistent and brief but uh, provides a lot of uh, interesting uh, contact between people, and this is something that we uh, need to be doing uh, more often. And I think it's a real challenge for us in the museum world, uh, particularly uh, if we're from a larger institution. Uh, we feel that you know, it's taking so much of our time uh, to do this one job uh, that it's very difficult for us to continue on and do sort of something outside of that. And perhaps one of the things that Leslie and I talked about earlier was this idea of bringing uh, a, a reorganization or sort of a reprioritizing. And I know we talk about that all the time on this show, but really thinking about how we can uh, do a better, better job of perhaps focusing our attention outward instead of inward. I wanted to also mention uh, something else that Leslie had said, which is this, uh, the idea of the sort of a museum culture. Uh, This is something that we've uh, talked about uh, on several of these international programs uh, when I was talking um, about the Bhopal Museum in India and also the Children's Museum of Jordan. It has been quite a... uh, opportunity for us to see how other museums and other cultures are beginning to uh, look at doing what is right and doing what is right for their um, for their museum. Well, it looks as if Leslie is not going to be able to answer. This is very disappointing today. As I said, technology works when it works and it when it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So, um, I am going to finish uh, my rambling on a little bit uh, by saying that that uh, the Reimagining Museum Conference uh, was the first of its kind, but I know it's not going to be the last of its kind. Uh, I encourage all of you who are listening to uh, Google Reimagining the Museum and uh, listen to some of those keynote programs and keep uh, the TIPA Foundation bookmarked on uh, your browser. And I know there there is another conference in the works uh, probably two years from now. I think these smaller conferences do provide an opportunity, uh, as Leslie said, to provide a safe space. And that's what we're all looking for in the museum community to share with one another. Again, I apologize for the technical difficulties of this show, uh, but we will be back next week and hopefully the gremlins will be gone by then. Uh, Again, I am always appreciative of those of you who listen to the show live and those of you who download the podcasts uh, and share with me your thoughts about the programs and new guests that you would like to see on the show. So until next week, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Thank you for listening.
Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. We'll be right back. 